Hello and welcome to the Next Level Podcast. I'm Tim Miller with my best friend who puts the L in LGBT, Sarah Longwell. Sarah, it's good to be with you. I'm a little sad we're alone today, but uh, it seems like our the third member of our triad is, is in a little recovery period. But he's out of commission. Uh, we'll let him tell his own story, I guess. But, but he <laughs> He's is, fine. You don't have to be worried about him. He can regale everyone with all of his Percocet stories <laughs> next week. But... Um, He's on the DL for one week, and uh, while he's gone, this is worth mentioning, next week when he comes back, we're going to have a little bit of news. we got a lot of Next Level content coming at you. Come March, come April, we're leveling up, so to speak. So this is a good time as any to make sure you're subscribed on Apple, subscribed on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, tell your pals, make sure they subscribe. This is a good time to get on the bandwagon, you know? You need somebody to text with about the next level. It's nice to comment. You know, if you're a Bulwark Plus member, it's nice to comment on the Substack. But you might want to you know, start a little text chain, a little WhatsApp chain with your buddies. So get them on board the next level. Get them to subscribe. And Sarah, I'm coming at you today from beautiful suburban Orlando. Oh. Here in the I-4 corridor. You want some Disney? Well, fortunately, no. Actually, um, I'm not. I'm not a Disney man, as you know. But Disney would, I think, have been preferable to what I did instead, was spending the day with Ron DeSanctis. Mm. I'm doing the circus this week, and and Ron, I don't know if you know, he launched his book yesterday, The Courage to Be Free, and uh, had a couple of events. He had one in Tampa, then one at Books A Million in Leesburg, Central Florida, Real America, and then went to The Villages. Not quite as real America. It was my first time in the villages, a big bucket list moment for me. Mm. And uh, and now I'm back in Orlando. Few questions. Did you get together with any of the gays against groomers? All my old pals from TPUSA. Yeah. None of them showed up. I was disappointed. Oh, that's too bad. They usually have their shirts and everything. I know. And I thought we cared about a couple of them, like I mentioned. We we've become social media buddies. So I can just I like to keep monitored on what's happening out there in the gays against groomers world, kind of see what their messaging is these days, see if they've updated their brand at all. But no, none of them showed up. I did see an old co-worker who seems like he was stealthily working on the DeSantis for president campaign oh. and was like, Stealthily. Was, I, I think so, because he was like excited to see me at first. It's like, Tim, I haven't seen you in ages. And then like we walked out of the bathroom and then he saw all the circus cameras and it was like, all right, Tim, I, you're a journalist now. <laughs> and kind of like sprinted away and texted me. Maybe we should get together sometime, you know, away from the camera. Not so, today. So, you know, I, I had a little bit of a reunion, but it was I think I, I have, and if you don't mind, I guess I'm the host, I'll just ask myself a question. If you don't mind, maybe I can just put a quarter in my own machine. <laughs> yeah, if you could give me a chance, I promise I would ask you questions, okay, but it's okay. Great. No, go. It's okay. Please. I mean, do you have a it's question It's super easy. Me? It's all I would do is just say like, so tell me, Tim, what's it like being on the road with Ron DeSantis? And then you go. So you don't have to actually set yourself up. I can do it for you. I promise. Okay. That's great. That's good to know. All right. I'm just, I'm getting, you, you and JVL are pros on the two-man game. I'm a, th- you know, I'm a three-on-three uh, basketball kind of guy. Worry, I promise you, you'll still talk the most. Nothing changes. It's all you. That's rude. Okay. Um, I did a good job hosting Thursday Night Bulwark the other night, and it was, I only did 28% of the talking, and it was hard. You know, it was challenging because (laughs) I I was a host. Anyway, it's interesting, I guess, I would say, to see old Meatball Ron, Ron DeSanctimonious, Ron DeSanctis, where Trump's still working through all the nicknames uh, out there, and to talk. Quick side thing DeSanctis. Yeah. That's just, I've decided my other nickname's too long. Yeah. He once gave an interview where he explained why some of his nicknames had the apostrophe and some didn't. 
Like, mm. I, I don't like, I think Lion Ted had the apostrophe and Lil Marco did not. Uh. You know, he is, despite his butch masculine reputation, you know, he's a New York kind of opera and, you know, style. Uh, he fancies himself a style, an architecture magnate, right? So I think that he looks at the words and he wants something that he believes is beautiful. Mm. And I think that he that Ron DeSanctimonious maybe had too many syllables and Ron DeSanctus maybe looked a little nicer to him. Maybe Trump heard from a few of the people who are deeply committed to him and they were like, what does this mean? It's like a long, difficult word that just like not everyone throws around. It is. And I can tell you, we asked because we did some man on the street outside of Ron's events and asked a couple of people about the nicknames and um, at least one fella had trouble spitting it out and just really didn't like literally said and kind of in, in a jovial friendly way was like, I just, I don't know what it means. Like I really, I yeah. really don't, I don't know what that, that word sanctimonious means. And meatball Ron, I, I don't know why he just doesn't stick with the meatball thing. Cause it's got like the best Trump hallmarks. It is both somehow a, dis- a physical descriptor <laughs> while also being sort of racist. And like, that just feels like a bullseye Trump, but he, it's weird. He's like workshopping the desanctimonious into just something shorter. I think I can feel this one as well. The people didn't like meatball Mm. and several people said that that was fake news. Actually, you know, several, he was not calling him meatball. Yeah. And that was the media said that, but, Mm. but, but Donald, that's too low for Donald. Okay. He would not. He would not, you know, kind of succumb to those types sound like of our guy. verse exactly. <laughs> exactly. I just don't think that 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 would, that he would do that to a fighter like Ron. Um, so I think that might be why he doesn't stick with Meatball because I do. I think it lands with those of us maybe you know a little bit further on the cuck spectrum. You know, mm-hmm. we kind of get a little bit of a kick out of the of the Meatball, but the DeSantis fans, you know, because as you know, with the focus groups, I think this is the most interesting thing about talking to these people is that. The voters that are up for grabs here, that are going to be up for grabs, like both, mm-hmm. right? That's right. And so this is a little bit of a different problem than he had in 2016, right? That I do think that he's still working through. And because uh, I think that really, maybe at the beginning, they had a kind of a soft like for Marco or Ted or Jeb or whatever. But like, there wasn't any bond, right? Sure. But, you know what I mean? Like, there just wasn't. And it, so it was easy to kind of peel them away. Marco is Latino and a globalist and, you know, Jeb's a Bush and Ted Cruz, one of the most unlikable people in America. And, you know, uh, so, right. And so he, he, the personal attacks didn't kind of boomerang back on Trump at all. That might not be true for DeSantis a little bit. It's a little bit of a different deal when you're, when you're competing over a turf of, people who are MAGA that like you, but also like this other guy and are, are maybe interested in, in Taste of the New Soup. Yeah. So I don't know if you uh, listened to my focus group podcast with Tara Palmieri. I did. It was really good. So this was sort of one of the main things that I think is is a dynamic that we don't quite yet understand how it works, but is going to be pretty decisive, which is, is Trump able to attack DeSantis and lay him low Or when Trump attacks DeSantis, does that alienate more people from him who expect these guys to like be pals and be on the same side and don't like seeing them fight? And one of the things I hear in the focus groups often from Trump and DeSantis fans are like, they've got the strategy. The strategy is like, it is a Trump DeSantis ticket. Trump the lead, DeSantis the VP, 16 years of Republican domination. This is how we're going to do it. So it has not permeated in a lot of ways the like 
mental ecosystem on the right that these two guys hate each other now and that they are absolute rivals and that there's not really a world in which they're getting together. Right. So uh, the same is the second stop, which is at this Books a Million. Mm. Kind of nice, I guess, actually, that you know, the big box bookstores having a resurgence, you know, out here and. Leesburg is, is it like a new books a million or is it a legacy books a million? I guess it was legacy, but it seemed to be doing pretty well. I don't know. Oh, great. It was out there and it was like an hour outside of Orlando. So I mean oh. we were we were in the we were we were with the real folk. And um and outside that event, my new friend, Laura Loomer. Do you know Laura? Mm, not personally, but I'm familiar with her work. Yeah, she's a for those who are not, she's a and when I say conspiracy theorist, like she's not kind of like a soft little just asking questions Tucker conspiracy theorist. She's like a, you know, frazzled drip like Hillary is like wearing baby skin on her faces like conspiracy theorist. Like she's the full. She believes Monty. every word of it. She's, yeah, she's super deep into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I bumped into her outside the Books a Million. They were having a protest of DeSantis, which was yeah. Trump against DeSantis, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the Trumpers, they're only Trumpers. And talking to those folks, they also like DeSantis, which was interesting, but they wanted to stay as governor and they were comfortable, let's say, when we pose the hypothetical. If Trump needs to kill him to win, are you going to be okay with that? That group, you know, the type of group that goes out onto the street. The always Trumpers. Yeah, waves the Trump flag, Trump 24, yeah. fuck your feelings, like that crowd, the Joe and the Ho gotta go t-shirts, like that crowd. Yeah. They're fine with it. Okay, now the next layer over, though, we went to the villages. You know, for the second DeSantis event, I was talking to DeSantis, the people that were there, you know, some of them are particularly the rich villages types. Like, they're, like, in DeSantis's camp, right? Like, that's going right. to be his base, right? Like, where I moved right. from New York, you know, I went to Penn. Like, now I've retired at the villages, right? Like, uh, those yeah. types of folks we talked to, that's going to be DeSantis's base. But some of the other, let's say, more Florida Native villages residents, you know, maybe more a little more Florida man kind of vibes, but senior citizens, they were in this middle kind of ground. The ones you talk to, they're like, it's still early. I haven't decided. You know, I like both of them. There's some things I like about both. When you ask those folks about the Trump attacks, they don't like it. Right. Right. And so it'll be interesting to see how he navigates that, whether it ends up mattering, because he's going to get a lot of positive reinforcing feedback loop from the Laura Loomers. Right. You know, yeah. every, you know, who are like, hell yeah, meatball. Right. And then there's going to be this other group that is going to be the key constituency that might not like it as much. So I, I thought that was interesting. The other interesting thing was just DeSantis's messaging. And I, I guess this isn't surprising. It's just noteworthy. I suffered through, boy, I think it was a good 78 minutes, his talk at the villages. I was surprised mm. that, that the crowd, the blue hairs were able to stay up for it. It was a late night set. It came on around 750. It's like, you know, folks there had already had their post-dinner brandy. Yeah, I'd be yeah. done. Yeah. It seemed to me like there might have been some people missing from the crowd because, you know, some folks had already, uh, you know, nodded off to Brett Baer a couple hours earlier. <laughs> but his remarks, very lengthy remarks, the performance isn't there, right? It's long. There's some boring parts. But when he's hitting the notes... They really like it. And he's right square in the middle of what folks want, right? Like the stuff that he's giving on Woke, on Disney, on Fauci, on immigration, Martha's Vineyard, schools, sexualizing our children, drag queens, which we'll get into later, like all of that, he is right in the bullseye of what the crowd response is, the libs hating him. He's really big on this. I'm the most hated governor in America, right? So he is hitting all their erogenous zones. But he doesn't even really try to do like the old school Republican stuff. 
Like literally he is 57 minutes into his speech and in a three minute period, he ticks through, we cut taxes, we're getting rid of some red tape. We're doing tort reform here in Florida. We're doing school choice. And uh, hopefully in this, in this session coming up, we're doing constitutional carry. All those were applause lines. People liked it, but that all came in like after a very, very lengthy speech. So it'd be interesting when he's got to cut it down, you know, for the road show, he's going out to Iowa and New Hampshire and all that. It'll be interesting to see if that stuff even makes the cut. I mean, like the core excitement stuff is, is all COVID, all woke, all the elite media and the libs hate me. So there's a lot of people in the focus groups talk about Ron DeSantis. He's Trump without the baggage. Gibbs was on my focus group podcast the other day, too, and he was arguing that in order to win a Republican primary, Ron DeSantis is going to have to go so far in this, like, Trumpy direction that just like in the midterms, you know, swing voters aren't going to like him. And I've been contemplating that for a couple of days because it's a it's a real point And I think something that is that is true. But I also want to mark a difference or talk this through with me. Yeah, please. Did he talk about the 2020 election being stolen? No. Right. So the things that animated Blake Masters, I assume he didn't endorse the Unabomber or talk about Donald Trump being the greatest president of our lifetime. Did he hit Ukraine at all? Didn't mention it. Only foreign policy mention was China. China, sure. Safe. Yeah, it was just, and we're making sure the CCP cannot buy any land in Florida. And everybody cheered. This must be a big thing on on Newsmax or something. I, I, I wasn't aware that that was even a controversy, that the CCP is buying land yeah. in Florida. But maybe it is. That might be my ignorance. This is a key difference in a way that DeSantis has, has carved out. Like, I often call him kind of a Trump understudy. I do think Trump created him. But I also think he has created a lane that is more swing voter friendly when he says we should not be teaching gender ideology to first graders. There are a lot of people who are like, yep. yep. And I would say especially a lot of these older folks who have not enjoyed the way that Democrats utilize government, they see no contradiction. And now the way that DeSantis talks about how he will wield government to push back against their sort of cultural enemies. They like that too. The point I want to make is like, he's not the same. He does have his own pitch. And not only that, a bunch of the other candidates, they're much closer to parroting and copying what Ron DeSantis's lane is than they are copying Trump's lane. And so when that happens, part of what it is, is that you'll get Nikki Haley and you'll get Tim Scott and you'll get a bunch of these no, other Nikki people. Nikki Haley said, don't say gay didn't go far enough. It was like, I was sure. for this gay gay. Yeah. We got to put it in fifth grade. He stopped it in third grade. But I, fifth graders also shouldn't be saying gay. And guess what? That's not going to fly. And it's the same reason, like, people think that Ron DeSantis is OG on this. He invented this woke culture fight. Now, of course, Donald Trump had his own version of this that tickled the same sort of places when he talked about anti-PC and he was, yes. you know, going after immigrants. But Ron DeSantis has a, like, stepped-up version of this that is more palatable to your average suburbanite with a college degree. They're still on the right. And so even though I've had a number of swing voting groups say they would vote for Biden over DeSantis, like, I take that point, but I also think, like, Ron DeSantis is, in a lot of ways, not going to run against Joe Biden. I think he's going to be running against Kamala Harris. So... I just want to lay out that difference because I think it's going to be key in understanding the fact that Trump and DeSantis are not quite the same, that Ron DeSantis does have his own pitch in his own lane, and that it is not the election denialism that people rejected in the midterms. Yeah, I don't want to go too far over my skis on this and say that I'm like super DeSantis bullish and like really freaked out or whatever, mm -hmm. but I, he's savvy. Yeah. 
there were things that I wasn't impressed with watching the speech. Like I said, it was long. He's got to work it out, right? Like he like he's going up against a performer, and there were parts that really dragged. But the messaging, the fights that he chooses to pick are pretty savvy. Mm-hmm. On the uh, Don't Say Gay Bill, how he describes it. These schools that are telling us that kids are being born racist, telling kids that they're being born in the wrong body. We're just trying to protect your freedom from the left's pathologies being forced down your throat. It plays. I get the dog whistle, right? But so like mm-hmm. that that makes me like cringe. But that plays, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Disney thing. I think is a little weird, and I think this could be one of his weaknesses is he's a little prickly, and you can tell he's, like, got his back up on this Disney thing, and he's digging in, and, like, he said Disney is injecting sexuality into their programming for young kids, mm-hmm. and it's just, like, I don't know if that plays, actually. I mean, I think that yeah. everybody is taking their kids to see Strange World, you know? I think that the types of people that thought that Strange World was inappropriate because the kid was gay with a supportive dad are not the swing voters that you're going to need in a general election in 2024. I just don't think that that the broad middle of the country is like, boy, Disney's getting too sexualized. You know, I I just, it seems a little weird, right? And to to bring it up multiple times, to me, that rang a little weird. But that said, I think that most of these other culture fights, you know, he, he has the old dog whistle strategy down. And the woke is vague enough. That's another thing we were asking the, the people on the street. It's like, what is woke to you? And nobody really can say, right? It's like everyone defines it themselves. But that's good for a politician, right? Because people can paint it with their own brush. And you know, he did have this one line, uh, Florida's where woke goes to die. It's one mm-hmm. of his taglines. It was it a little is. on the nose for me at the villages. <laughs> I, was <just> like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Maybe maybe would have edited it. Can we talk about this this point about what woke is? I was talking to a reporter the other day. And he asked me, do people bring up woke in the focus groups? And I was like, never. Like, I don't hear people say, well, I'm against things being woke. However, they bring up all the subgenres, right? The one that matters to them. So I don't like all this gender stuff in schools or the critical race theory or the litter boxes, you know, like whatever. And socialism comes up a lot. But like people have their own idea, like their own subgenre that like bugs them about the left or just generally the left forcing all their weird stuff on us. And what's great about woke is it's sort of like what anti-PC used to be. They're, They're different strains, but like everybody can tag into it from their own position and that allows it to be broadly appealing. And I think this is where Ron DeSantis has given himself a pretty good base to argue from because it can just be, it can be, it can be boys playing, you know, girls sports, right? right? That kind of stuff. And people, including swing voters, I would say for whatever reason, there is now a, a whole cottage industry of thinkers and writers who are respected, who often vote for Democrats, who would call themselves liberal, who've basically made their entire careers and personas around sort of the gender identity, trans right. kids. And so there are a lot of people who think of themselves as sort of independent or contrarian, that kind of thing, who like are really tapped into this gender issue or the trans issue. And that works. Like that can be woke or it can be race. It can be whatever. And that that's where he has a, a good a good plan. And a lot of people are copying it. Yeah. So uh, one last thing on this one observation or, or a negative and a positive is sort of just we judge DeSantis' strengths and weaknesses going forward. I think the best argument for the Gibbs side of this which is that this mm-hmm. doesn't wear well and then the end is that maybe he doesn't have the one-off 
weird quotes like Blake Masters or the Doug Bastriano going full election fraud that put together as a package, right? And you present it to your Phoenix, you know, your Maricopa County suburb voter that voted for Katie Hobbs. But you present to them, it's like, this guy is running and he's, he's going after colleges and saying that they are too liberal and that we're trying to bring old school, classical, conservative, like reading back to colleges. He's getting rid of AP black history stuff. He's obsessed about whether Disney princesses are showing too much cleavage, right? Like he doesn't, he's going after trans kids. He's going after gay, right? Like that's the inverse of this, right? Like that people that have conservative predilections can hear the woke thing and project their own, the one thing they're mad about on it. But the people on the other side of the coin hear everything and be like, this dude's a weirdo, right? Like he's, Mm -hmm. like he's talking about all of this stuff and he's, and they're like, maybe I don't really love it. I don't love the DEI or I don't love this one teacher. My kid has that is going a little bit too hard on the, on the woke stuff. But like, I mean, this dude feels like he's obsessed, right? Like, do I want that in the president? And that feels like a little, a little too far. And, and so I think that's a potential vulnerability for him. Well, and this comes down to sort of an ineffable thing, like a thing that people might not be able to put their fingers on. But here's my question about Ron DeSantis as you were watching him. Does he seem happy as he's no. delivering this? Like, does he seem light? Does he seem like a guy who is carrying a positive message that can turn people on in a way? Because at some point, if you just are dealing in anger, you can. And Trump, Trump dealt in anger. He dealt in division. But he also like made people laugh all the yeah. time, right? So much of it. And this is where people got this thing that that people could say the literally not seriously. And we we that was a way for us to all understand that Trump had a way of saying things where people were like, he doesn't quite mean that, guys, but he's just saying it and it's funny. And that allowed him to get away with murder with people in a way that I have wondered because we have not seen Ron DeSantis on the national stage whether he carries himself with any kind of lightness that people can feel good about him. Uh, No, he seemed anal retentive was the word that came to me, like prickly Mm -hmm. and anal retentive. There was one thing I thought at the very end, I made, I made a mark in my notes. I was like, there's a little something here, which is on the fighting side is at the very end, he said, you know, kind of, I'm just one guy in this. And the thing that you know, I, I just want you guys to know that we're all in this fight together. These people want to silence us, right? And if you're the mom at the school board who's mad about what's being taught to your second grader, you're in this with me, right? And he did that kind of galvanizing thing at the end, which I thought was like pretty good at least, mm-hmm. you know, because he does come off as sanctimonious, right? I guess it is the mm-hmm. one good part of the Trump like nickname, This, uh, you know, is like he does come off as like, oh, I'm a know-it-all I'm like very anal, I, you know, I'm very particular and prickly. So maybe he can grow it over time. But no, there was not a lot of joie de vivre unless you get joy out of liberal tears. And that might be enough in a Republican primary in some places. All right. We had an election yesterday. This is a politics podcast in Chicago. There was the first round of a mayor's race. Let me pull this up. The sitting mayor, Lori Lightfoot, finished in third place. Not enough to make the runoff. Paul Vallis was head of the uh, Department of Education, um, uh, Brandon Johnson, a city council member. They advanced the April 4 runoff. Sarah, we're on a little bit of a trend here without, you know, uh, purporting ourselves as Chicago politics experts. Um, we do have a little bit of a trend here in these big cities now. And, and I think that sometimes there's always this, and I love the local politics reporters. They're always like, oh, you national types, you want to weigh in on this. And this is mostly about Chicago issues and local issues. There are local issues, but Eric Adams in New York, goes in and and replaces de Blasio running as more of the pro-police kind of candidate on the Democratic side. 
San Francisco, as I've written about, we had these recalls, uh, particularly the, of the DA. You know, L.A. Karen Bass ends up winning, but but very close, right, to having like this former Republican dude winning the L.A. mayor's race, and now in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot doesn't doesn't win the runoff. Can we learn anything? You think? Can we do big picture punditizing? Oh yeah, I mean, this is crime, right? So we've seen since the pandemic the rise in crime in a lot of these major cities. And I think for people who live in places without a lot of crime, you may want to roll your eyes at this and say, you know, defund the police or whatever. But let me tell you what, the people in these cities do not want to defund the police. They want somebody to do something about the fact that there is a ton of burglary. And to be fair to these local reporters, I did just tap in on this, you know, like on the Lori Lightfoot thing. But, you know, it sounded like in a lot of ways she was trying to say, no, 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 violent crime is down. And it, it's true that like year over year from the pandemic, there had been a decrease in the murder rate, but things like theft, carjacking, right, and all that stuff was up. And if you live in these places, that is the ball game, right? Like the most fundamental thing is being able to walk down the street and be safe. Washington, D.C. feels super different than it did five years ago really different. And that is going to matter to people and they're going to want something done about crime. I feel this way. I feel this way in DC. The big tent encampments uh, where there's a ton of drug use, a lot of violence, you know, it creates a really different sense downtown when you see all the stores, right? Like people can be like, we're bouncing back. But like when you go to a downtown and you see all the for sale, all the retail space, you know, things don't feel full. The coffee shops are all closed. You know, just it has a really different feel and it gives people the sense of decline. Right. And so that's when you get change election. Now, the one thing in this election in Chicago in particular, so it's clear they don't want her, but she had somebody running to her left. And then there's like a Republican yeah. that won. And so I guess my question is, is, is it possible Chicago elects a Republican mayor in this environment? And I'm not positive that's the case. Yeah, see, if Brandon Johnson is the one uh, that you were talking about that was running to, I guess, her left. And uh, Val, is, is not, he's not a Republican, the guy that won the most. He's a Democrat, but I, I think... Oh, he is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kept seeing people refer to him as a conservative. They must mean a conservative Democrat. Yeah, this is the very online libs, you know, trying to smear him. Uh, no, he ran for governor as a Democrat. Uh, he ran for lieutenant governor as a Democrat. So, no, very, uh, very much a Democrat. But look, I, I, I do think that... The messaging about about unions coming from him is maybe you know why you sort of see this like oh if you're if you want to criticize the teachers union or whatever then you're a Republican and so uh, no I mean he he ran as a Democrat back in 2002 so it's been 20 years at least he's been a Democrat I don't uh, want to pretend that I know Paul Vallis's whole CV but look I I think that sometimes it's hard to tell like in this in this surround sound information environment like what is real. Like, what is just in my feeds, right? Like, you know, what is being blown out of proportion? And I think that that breeds an idea a lot of times of people who are in one, their tribal bubble of being like, no, this is bullshit, right? Like, crime isn't really that bad. And the school mm -hmm. situation isn't really that bad. This is just Republican nonsense. And Tucker Carlson and Mega Kelly are talking about it today, and they've got to be wrong, right? There's a little bit of this on the, you know, the lab leak thing, which we were dealing with this week, right? Right. If the baddies just say one thing, then they must be wrong. But the people that are actually living through this stuff in Audi cities, like we can just, we just now see through the elections that that's not how they feel. Now, some of those folks might go even further left. We did this in Oakland, right, where people were unhappy and it looked like that they were, we were going to elect, you know, the more center left, you know, kind of reform oriented 
candidates. And then uh, it turned out they're very close races. It turned out like the even more lefty person won. So, you know, we'll see how that shakes out in Oakland, both in the mayor's race and in the DA's race. So that could very well happen in the runoff uh, where Johnson wins. But I, I think that that what is clear is that like people are not happy with the status quo, right? And I right. think that they have these internal divisions within them, which is like they are still mad for good reason about police shootings, right? Mm-hmm. And so they don't want to be for like the Blue Lives Matter candidate, right? But at like, right. the same time, they want their cities to be safe, right? And, you know, at the same time, they don't want to be for gutting all the public schools, right? But they also didn't love a lot of what the teachers unions were doing during COVID, right, with kids in schools, right? So so people on the left, this is mostly an intra-left dispute of people who have these cross-tensions trying to deal with that. And I think that was kind of what I tried to get on that interview with Brooke Jenkins I did a, a few weeks back where she's trying to be like, no, I'm like, I'm progressive. Like I'm liberal, but like that doesn't mean anarchy, you know, like the, that people don't get arrested for shoplifting, right? Like there has to be some kind of punishment for shoplifting. Maybe you think the prison industrial complex is too much and we need to come up with an alternate solution for shop. I'm open to that, but like it has to be something, right? You can't just let people keep stealing from Target over and over again, you know, because that's not a society, right? right. And so I, I just think that in these big cities, folks are dealing with that and Republicans are taking advantage of it. DeSantis talked about this yesterday. We ranted, I guess, last week, was it on the next level on Charlie's podcast about how, you know, there's plenty of crime problems in red states too, but it just isn't as acute doesn't feel as acute as in cities. Well, there's um, cities in red states. What I'm trying to say is like Tennessee has a crime problem. Let's look at a good transition into Tennessee. Tennessee has a crime problem, but it's not just in Memphis, right? Like the red parts of Tennessee have crime problems, right? And this is what I was ranting about with Amanda last week about how like Florida is where Parkland and Pulse right. and this just horrible shooting of those journalists just happened. Like, right. you know, Florida has a higher murder rate than New York City. So there's plenty of gun violence problems. The top murder rate places are all red states because of gun violence problems, suicides and, and gun violence. So that's something Democrats need to be able to go on offense. But you got to clean your own house before you can go on offense, right? And I think for some people, they're like, okay, it's hard to get that around your brain, right? Which is like... The murder rate is higher, but it's weird because when I see pictures of the cities, like offices are boarded up and stuff, right? Because there are all these ancillary crimes that you're talking about in D.C., but D.C. feeling different, right? Like yeah. that's a little more acute than a whatever, a murder rate number. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, go ahead. I was going to go back to Tennessee unless you had something Yeah, I about think it. you wanted to segue to Tennessee. So I, I think let's go there. This governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, for people who haven't heard the story, he is about to sign a bill. I wrote about this. There's going to be bills in many states uh, that are banning drag performances outside of sex clubs, outside of strip clubs, essentially, or adult entertainment venues. How this gets policed will be interesting, uh, to say the least. You know, the bills all say that it has to be performances that appeal to the prurient interest. I don't know who, somebody in some think tank in Washington, D.C. probably came up with the word prurient because it's in all of these bills. And they sent it out to Alec, who had sent it out to all of these state legislatures. And so it will be interesting to see how prurience is enforced. But Bill Lee is doing a press conference yesterday, and somebody at the Tennessee Holler, which is a great local outlet there, went up to him with a picture of him from the 19, a 1977 yearbook. And it was Bill Lee dressed as a cheerleader for some gimmick uh, on the high school field. You know, it was like the boys dressed as cheerleaders. It's like the powder puff. Yeah, the powder puff game. Yeah, and it was called, uh, his was, there was some sexist thing that was, uh, it was 1977. So some lightly misogynistic description that was underneath the picture. And he was asked about this and he got really 
butthurt. We'll put it in the show notes so people can watch it if you haven't seen it. Uh, and he gets really angry and puffed up. And he's like, how can you say that's the same? How can you say that's like sexualizing you, these young children and these sexualized performances in front of five-year-olds? And, and I am going to sign the bill. And there, there's no similarity there. And he kind of storms off out of this press conference. It gets very heated. And... You know, this is like the classic Republican thing that just gets my blood boiling of, you know, it's only a problem when they do it, right? Right. Like, if I if sure. I dress up as a girl, you know, for a powder puff game as a straight man who obviously am not interested in, you know, butt stuff, okay, not me, you know, that's not prurient, right? That's just funny. That's just good-natured fun. It's just a guy... You know, making fun of faggots by putting on a skirt. Nothing, no problems there. Nothing to see here. Government doesn't need to get involved in that. But when the gays start dressing up, you know, in skirts and shaking their little tail feathers around, that's sexualized. Like, that is really problematic. And we need the... We need Johnny Law to interfere with that. And so, you know, this is just a classic, you know, kind of thing. It's only a problem when they do it. Right. But did you get to watch old Bill Lee get his bluster? I did not watch it. I have like a sort of a different, I have a different level of annoyance on this. Although uh, to your point about how they enforce it, I have two thoughts. Number one, drag shows or even like burlesque was kind of a thing when we were in the club, certainly on the lesbian side a little bit. And it was like never for me the kind of thing where I was like, I'm going to go out because I want to consume this content. But it was like, it was out. It was just like what was happening at the bar that night. I also didn't see any five-year-olds in there when I was there. Um, you never went to a drag brunch? I did. No, Perry's has the drag brunch. And <laughs> you're not going to... I liked the Perry's. It had sushi sushi rolls as part of the brunch. Yeah, so I thought the food was good. Um, <laughs> you had sushi at a drag brunch in the morning when you were hungover? The food was good. Their brunch was excellent. Like a cream cheese, like a Philadelphia roll? No. Listen, I'm not... Whatever, I'm not going to get into fish? it. I just, I, you're just having raw fish. Yeah, it's good. It was like 11.30 in the morning, you know? It was like almost lunchtime. And I didn't love these. I did not also see five-year-olds here, but I did see a lot of people would bring their, like, parents to this, and Mm -hmm. there would always be, like, a dad in his golf shirt and slacks uh, who got talked into brunch, and, like, the drag queens would grind on them. And I was always like, I hate this for him. (laughs) Uh, But usually the dads, somebody had told them what they were getting into for the most part, and they would blush, and they would endure, and it was sort of like good family fun for all. Although drag queens can be really mean, I gotta say, especially if you're doing drag bingo. They're like insult comics the whole time. But I'm not super, super deep in drag world. However, what I will say is that I'm super deep in free speech world and expression. And like, I am quite certain that... Our free speech and expression laws in this country, in the First Amendment, allows drag shows to exist. Hmm. And I think it is interesting, and this is something Ron DeSantis has really been sort of perfecting, is how to take a crowd who says that free speech is one of the things they absolutely care the most about. It is one of their most essential values, and these libs, they are trying to censor speech, they don't believe in free speech, we are the party of free speech, but also your drag shows are illegal and the cops are going to bust them up. And this is a, a thing where the collapse of sort of conservative institutions can be seen in the fact that there is nobody sort of policing the contradictions anymore. I mean, when I was... When I was younger, I sort of felt like Republicans and conservatives were much better at having a neutral principle that they would apply, even if it meant 
you know, something that they didn't necessarily like, but they would sort of defend the libertarians when they talk about principled libertarianism. This Mm -hmm. is sort of what they mean. And like, I don't see that many conservatives right now being like, hey, you know what Ron DeSantis is? He's incredibly illiberal, banning books. I see the left making those arguments. The left who who is supposed to hate free speech, they're making those arguments. But the right is not policing Ron DeSantis on this. They're not going after these like bans on expression that drag queens certainly fall under. And so that's been somewhat mystifying to me. There's no parallel free speech threat. This is the thing that's so maddening about all this. I mean, there's a parallel in the sense of like, okay, well, there's people getting canceled or stuff, but that's all informal, right? There's no parallel. And Gavin Newsom is not signing any bills that's like, if you were a teacher and, you know, you misgender someone, then you're going to be fired or whatever. I'm trying to think like what the liberal equivalent of this, like we're going to ban, you know, discussions of whatever Christian morals in our classrooms. Like that, like you might say that the cultural left has more control over this, but as far as government bans like this is the most direct ban on freedom of expression that is happening anywhere right now it's happening across the country in red states banning drag drag shows and i think it's going to lead to banning prides i don't oh I, don't, prides. I, I, I was going to ask about pride like yeah so i went back and forth with their sarah Huckabee staff and you know credit to them for for replying you could just ignore me with my tds right but they engaged with me and we went back and forth a few times and this is why i'm dug in on prurient because finally that was the sticking point. I was just like, how is pride going to happen in Arkansas? You're going to ban pride. And they're like, well, no, we're just banning prurient performances. And I'm like, have you ever been to a pride? Yeah. Have you ever been to a gay pride? <laughs> There's some prurient shit happening at pride. Okay. And who's going to be the judge? Is just some random cop in Fayetteville going to decide what every drag performance, whether it, whether it teeters on the edge over to prurient or not prurient? It's concerning. The drag folks are not, I mean, it's mostly like, it's like the naked cowboys and their assless chaps doing the dance on the, Sure, but that's not drag. So I want that's not drag. So how are we policing this? Maybe he's an assless chaps, but he's got, you know, fairy wings on and that counts as drag mm. now. I don't, yeah, I, I, I just, but should people have to be thinking about this? And this, you know, there's this book that was by George Lakoff called Who's Freedom. He was really early on this. And I had somebody send it to me a while ago. It was, he wrote this in the 90s about how, like, the Republicans were degrading the concept of freedom. And back then, I was kind of like, you know, like, libertarian Tim was like, I don't know if that's right. It seems like Berkeley nonsense. He tapped into something early, right, which right. is just this, we're going to use freedom to just talk about our people's freedoms, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and not really concern ourselves with other conceptions of freedom, right? And right. and the way Lakoff wrote this was about, oh, people's freedom to, you know, poor people's freedom to get a good education, you know, minorities' freedom to not be discriminated against, you know, so, so he's doing a little bit of, you know, some wordplay there. But this is the most direct example of what Lakoff was writing about. And DeSantis last night at the speech I was at kept talking about your freedom, you parents, your freedom to have your kids learn without being indoctrinated by the teachers. But I kept sitting there going, well, wait a minute. What about my freedom? Yeah. What about liberal parents' freedom? What about my freedom as a gay dad? What if I want the teacher to teach and Tango Makes Three? Mm-hmm. Like, whose freedom are we talking about here? And they have really debased that in a way that I think, you know, works very well in this primary setting, but but is going to come to a head eventually. Uh, we could go round and round on this. We're running out of time. Do you have any final thoughts on George Lakoff, whose freedom, before I discuss your hair? I don't on George Lakoff. I mean, are, are we out? Is this, has this been a good show, long show already? I, yeah, I did. Show, I did. Show. I forgot. 
I wanted to talk about Fox News, but... I want to talk about the Wuhan lab. This is why we have so much content at the Bulwark. There's Thursday night Bulwark. I do Charlie's show on Fridays often. Not this week, because the Principal's First Festival is happening this week. But I'll be back on Charlie's show next week. There might be more Next Level episodes coming, TBD. People can get excited about it. I hope you liked this episode. If you didn't... Maybe, you know, whatever. We'll catch you next week when JVL's back, if you're, if you're a JVL stan. Mm-hmm. Um, final thought, though. Um, Sarah, you forgot this was a video podcast, and you came on just out of the shower today. Just out so of the shower. So, you kind of recovered it, though. It turned out the hair is looking pretty good, I guess, uh, all things considered. This was a great moment where, because it was just the two of us, and some I got secret pot in my head, and I was like, don't worry, we're not on video. I can shower right before this. And I came down and jumped on the video, and Tim was like, What's wrong with you? <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you, he's like, you need a hat. <laughs> uh, and so I had to go up and I got several hats, but I realized that if I just comb my hair, it would be, it, it's not, it's not my best ever, but I, I think we would all agree that this is just, I'm fine. It was a good recovery. I think you look great. I think you look great. I'm so happy that we did this. And um, guys, subscribe, comment, rate us. I read those ratings. Me too. Okay? I see what you say. I see what you say. We're monitoring you. I appreciate all of your support. JVL, if you're listening, get better. Hang in there, buddy. I hope you enjoyed the Wawa. We miss you. We love you. We love you. Peace out. Yeah.